Where's my money? You remember John Horgan promised free money during this election campaign. A thousand dollars of family direct to your bank account by direct deposit. When are you going to get that money? You're going to get it before Christmas? We'll uh, get into that for you. Take a look at the other parties there on election night for the BC Liberals. Wow, they really got spanked. I think Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson clearly done as the Liberal leader. I anticipate he will announce that he's stepping down at some point this week. And then we're into a Liberal leadership race. That will be fascinating. Some of the names coming up already here for a potential new Liberal leader. Todd Stone, Jazz Johal, even though he lost his seat on Saturday night. Kevin Falcon, former Liberal cabinet minister, his name has popped up. And I think maybe the most intriguing of all, Diane Watts, the former Surrey mayor, does she emerge to challenge for the Liberal leadership again? The Liberals need to get young fast here. They need to bring in some new blood for sure. They are too old. They need some dynamic young people to come in. I've seen parties come back from these type of setbacks before, but wow, this was a big setback for the B.C. Liberals. So we've got all that coming for, for you on the show today. Of course, we also have to talk about the B.C. Green Party. They had a really good night. They win three seats. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show now, Sonia Firstenau, the leader of the B.C. Green Party. Thanks a lot for coming on. Happy to be here, Mike. Okay, congratulations on winning your seat again in, in the Cowichan Valley. And the Green Party did pretty well in the popular vote. You've got three seats, including a breakthrough there on the mainland, breaking out of your stronghold there in southern Vancouver Island. Your thoughts on the election result? Well, I mean, I, I want to thank everybody that uh, that voted and supported the BC Greens, but I, I really want to just note how impressive it was, this campaign that we pulled together literally um, out of nothing because we were we had just finished our leadership race right. um, and had zero candidates nominated the day that the writs dropped. So um, just an impressive work, teamwork by the, the staff, the volunteers, the candidates, their teams, and uh, pretty amazing to see the kind of, um, you know, record-setting donations, support from all over the province. We've, we've spread out our support. We're not so concentrated on Vancouver Island anymore, and as you point out, with Jeremy Valeriat, uh, yeah. uh, looks like a seat on the Lower Mainland, and I'm very excited that. And the people of West Vancouver see the sky will be well served by Jeremy. Um, so, yeah, we, we are on the other side of this and feeling good about what we've done, but mm. mostly I am focused on we will build. And the next four years will be about building a very strong uh, province-wide party. Speaking of BC Green Party leader Sonia Firstenau, she's re-elected in her own riding. The Greens elected three seats on Saturday night. I guess in some ways, would you say this is, I don't know, good news, bad news? I mean, it's obviously you've retained those three seats in the legislature, which is obviously good news, did pretty well in the, in the popular vote. But the Green Party now, of course, no longer hold the balance of power in a minority parliament. This is a big NDP majority here going forward. How does that sort of change the equation for the Green Party here in the legislature? Well, we will continue to be as we were. We, we, you know, we occupied a role as an opposition party, as well as, you know, the balance of responsibility that we had with the NDP. But we will continue to show that um, it doesn't have to be done the way it's always been done. We will come to the table with solutions. Uh, We are evidence-based. We are going to be productive and collaborative. And you can expect to see a lot of private members' bills coming forward, a lot of ideas 
as we've been doing for for many years. Just one right. thing though, Mike. You know, this is this was a four point swing in the election results. So the NDP went from about forty percent to forty four percent of the popular vote. Right. Uh, and and that results in this massive swing in number of seats. This is one of the problems we have with our electoral system. They they didn't, they, you know, the majority of people didn't actually vote NDP in the election. Um, but the way that our electoral system works is it, you know, 44% can deliver uh, well over the majority of seats in the legislature. Right. What I hope and what I've heard and what I will hold John Horgan to account on is his words about, you know, wanting to be more collaborative, wanting to reach across the aisle, work with the other parties. Uh, that's my intention in this legislature. That serves the people of BC the best. And he does, you know, the best thing would be for a leader in an election like this to recognize, hey, you know, we got the majority of seats, but we recognize that right. 56% of people in BC did not vote NDP. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And you're a longtime supporter of a, a proportional representation voting system in our province. And you're right. I mean, when you break this thing down into some pure numbers, the NDP get 45% of the vote, but they get a majority. So they get a minority of the votes, but a majority of the seats in the legislature. If we were in a pure uh, proportional representation system for the Green Party with the percentage of the vote that you guys got mm-hmm. on Saturday, by my math here, you'd have what, about 14 MLAs yeah. in the legislature, right. not three. Yeah. And 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 therefore would represent properly the the number of people who who voted green and right. who have that you know who who share with us the vision for the future of this province. So it's it's just important to to recognize the distorting effects of of our electoral system and then ideally um, to have the kind of representation and leadership in the in the legislature that uh, that says okay. You know, how do we best represent the people in this province? Well, we work we work across party lines. Let me let me ask you. Speaking to a Green Party leader, Sonia, first to know. Let me ask you real quickly about the Site C Dam, which I thought it was mm-hmm. interesting to see this issue come up on the campaign trail in this election. You were the only party that was essentially opposed to this project from the very start. Mm-hmm. The the Liberals are behind it. They started the project. The NDP have kept building it. I think one of the reasons that Horgan did this, rolled the dice on an early election call, was because it looks like we're getting a lot of disturbing reports out of the project there in the piece that this thing is just going off the rails in terms of the cost. It could it could explode way over budget here. Maybe that's why he wanted to go early before the bad news comes out on the site C dam. It was interesting that Horgan what seemed to be open to the idea of canceling the project now after years of, mm-hmm. of building it. What do you think about that? Should they walk away from it? And you think they will? Yeah. I, well, and this is an example when people say, how are you going to be effective as an opposition? Well, yeah. as you point out, we're the only party that's been consistent on this. And during the election campaign, I raised it many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you saw a shift from Horgan um, where he did open the door to counseling it. He did. This is, you know, it, it, we'll, we'll see the kind of thinking around sunk cost fallacies. Oh, well, we've put so much money into it. We can't possibly stop now. Look at Muskrat Falls and Newfoundland and recognize uh, that when a project is going this badly, when the cost overruns are this bad, and when your engineers can't even tell you what the solutions could be or what the price tags of those solutions could be for the geotechnical issues, it's time to stop. Okay. And uh, that's, that's essential. Okay, that's going to be a big issue going forward. Congratulations on your showing on Saturday night. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure.
As the results stand tonight, the NDP are clearly ahead and it appears they will have the opportunity to form government. But with almost half a million mail-in ballots still to be counted, we don't know what the final seat count will be. And we owe it to every voter, every voter, no matter how they expressed their intention to await the final results. All right, that's uh, Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson on Saturday night uh, looking very deflated after taking that beating in the election. He said that you have to wait for the final count. I don't think you really do to know the result here. This is a big NDP majority. You didn't hear him congratulate John Horgan there uh, in his remarks on Saturday night. He did phone him the next day, but that was a little offside with the usual protocol, I thought. Here is Wilkinson thanking voters. To all of the British Columbians who voted, thank you. It's critical to who we are as a society that people get out and vote, and they have done so whether it was in an advance poll, whether from a telephone from a long-term care facility, whether by post, or whether in the full election day today. All right, this was a big gamble by John Horgan to call this election in the first place, but it pays off in a big way with the NDP winning that majority government on Saturday night. Okay, let's talk about the B.C. Liberals here and what went wrong. This is a party that had a dynasty and a grip on power for so long in our province. They finished far behind the NDP on Saturday. My guest is Peter Millibar. He is the Liberal MLA re-elected in Kamloops, North Thompson. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Peter, thanks a lot for coming on. Absolutely. I always get to come on. Okay, uh, congratulations to you on winning your seat in Kamloops. It was a rough night, though, for a lot of your colleagues. What went wrong here for the Liberal campaign? Well, thanks for that. And, yeah, and yeah I mean, mathematically, I, I, I guess uh, I could still wind up losing, but I have been declared by, uh, by the media, so we'll see what happens. But oh, I think I'm in how the many, How many votes were you ahead on Saturday? Oh, I'm about 800 up, and last okay. we heard there was only about 1,800 mail-in ballots that actually had been returned. So, okay. you know, and I think that's representative of a lot of writings across the province on both sides of, of the aisle, and, and uh, that's why that, that count in two weeks is so important. Uh, you know, realistically, there's probably only those those few really tight writings that uh, are still in play after both parties, but uh, we have to send the Greens, I guess, and we have to see where that all uh, shakes out once all of those get counted. But uh, there's no doubt the NDP have a majority and, and will have a majority after those counts. I don't think anyone's disputing that. And, and uh, we're going to have to uh, make sure that we're doing our best to uh, to hold them to account. Strong opposition is critical in our, our democratic process. Okay, do you think that these results show a deepening kind of rural-urban divide in British Columbia where the Liberals did well in the interior of the province, but just booted out of Metro Vancouver. So is that a problem? It just seems to be a division here between the lower mainland and the rest of the province. I, I think that's always been a narrative, and, and it's certainly something that, uh, you know, obviously we have a lot of work to do in the metro areas in terms of uh, gaining the trust of the electorate to, to uh, put us into uh, MLA roles in those, those ridings. Um, you know, in my case, and I think it was mirrored across the province in a lot of different uh, ridings, when you have four or five uh, parties on a, on a ballot, um, you know, the, the vote split starts to happen and, and uh, it can make the, the pathway a lot more difficult. Um, I'm not saying those parties don't have a right to be on the ballot, but it, it certainly highlights, um, you know, how just how um, um, you know, detailed some people are starting to be with their vote in terms of uh, speaking to very specific platforms one or the other.
Okay, what happened to the Liberals here in Metro Vancouver? You guys lost a lot of seats there in the suburbs and even out into the Fraser Valley, which had just been considered safe Liberal territory for so long. What happened? What went wrong? Well, I think there's going to be lots of time uh, to dissect that and look at that. Uh, unlike the the last election where we were uh, in a minority situation right off the hop and, and um, no one knew for sure how long the coalition uh, with the Greens and the NDP would last or not, um, you know, there was a lot of... Um, it wasn't probably enough time to properly digest and, and uh, reconfigure ourselves as a party moving forward. Uh, this time, uh, we know that we have four years of opposition ahead of us. Uh, it's not something you relish or, or look forward to, but it's something that gives you the time as a party and a membership um, to really reevaluate and, and say, okay, this is where we need to head uh, to be to be relevant to, to Metro Vancouver, to the island, and, and to the interior. Okay, do you think this party is too old, in my opinion? You guys need to renew. I, need, I think you need young talent coming into this party. When you take a look at the, the Liberal MLAs at, at dissolution here, I think the youngest Liberal MLA was Michelle Stilwell, who lost her seat on Saturday, and I think she was 46. And I think when, you gotta, when your youngest MLA is, is pushing 50, uh, I think that's a problem. Uh, I remember back in the days when the Liberals used to bring in young people, even when Christy Clark or Gary Collins and all these people first started out in politics, even like Mike DeYoung has been around forever. But when he started, they were all in their 20s. What is the problem? Yeah. How come you guys are so old? Why, you, why don't you have any young MLAs? Well, uh, I'll leave it to a radio host to tell a, a woman that's 46 that they're pushing towards 50. I'll never say that as a politician. but um, You know what I, you know uh, what I mean, yeah, though? I she's know she's mean. the youngest it, one. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And, and uh, you know, we have ran younger candidates. Uh, we need to, to reevaluate that as a party as well. Uh, again, we have that time to do that and do it well. Um, but we need to make sure that those younger names are, are running in ridings that we can win uh, moving forward. We did that. Uh, the first election I ran in in 17, we had some great young talent. Uh, unfortunately, they, they weren't successful. And we had some great young talent this time as well. Um, you know, and they were in writings that uh, we we thought we had a reasonable chance at, at winning this time. Um, unfortunately, between, uh, you know, Dr. Henry's uh, incredibly good handling of, of the health side of the pandemic and yeah. and the premier's popularity, it was uh, it was uh, we were uh, rowing into gale force winds this time and, and it didn't pan out. But uh, it's not for lack of wanting to have those younger candidates, those diversified candidates. And, and certainly that's going to be a discussion point, I'm sure, for the membership okay. and, and the party in general. I think you put your finger on something that's important there, and that's the role that Dr. Bonnie Henry played here in the in the outcome of this election. Her name was not on the ballot. She was not running, obviously, but I think Horgan was very wise to let her take the lead in the fight against this pandemic. British Columbians came to know her, trust her, and I think it reflected well on, on the NDP at election time that they felt that the government had managed well so far through this pandemic. But let me ask you about uh, the leadership of the Liberal Party. Andrew Wilkinson here uh, seems to be taking a, a lot of the blame for what went wrong here. Does the party need a new leader? Well, I think Andrew has uh, well earned the right. He's got, he's got a lifetime of public service behind him, and, and uh, the membership put our, our faith in, in Andrew in the leadership race uh, to lead us, and, and he's earned that right. And so 
Uh, again, we have time. We don't need to solve all of, of uh, the issues of the election on Monday after a Saturday election. Um, uh, Andrew, I think, is going to take his time to think of all what, uh, where he sees the party moving, where, where he sees his own uh, career path moving, and, and he's absolutely earned that right to do that. So we'll see. Everything always unfolds in due time in British Columbia, it seems, and, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll move forward as a party stronger, stronger than before and, and uh, learn from uh, this election. Speaking of Peter Millibar, Liberal MLA, he was re-elected in Kamloops on Saturday night. I've seen parties take big setbacks like this in the past in British Columbia and rebuild. We've seen how the Liberals were lost in the political wilderness in this province for a long time. They were able to turn into a dynasty in British Columbia. I remember one election where the NDP was reduced to two seats, nearly wiped off the map. A lot of people thought that was the end of the NDP. They came back. So... Political parties have been shown to be resilient in our province in the past. We have other parties, though, that do go do just go extinct, like the Social Credit Party, which is such a powerful force for so long. What are your thoughts on the status of the Liberal Party here right now, and what did they have to do to come back? Or is there any kind of existential threat to the party kind of splitting, especially if you got that Conservative Party out there in the wings? Well, you know, I, I think, again, we, we're going to have to take a good hard look as as a party in terms of, um, you know, where we want to be heading as a membership uh, uh, with policy and direction moving forward uh, that will speak uh, to, the, to the diverse needs of British Columbians. And, and that's going to take a bit of time to do it well and to do it right. Uh, we have that time to do that. And that's certainly, I think, what uh, I would hazard to guess everyone in our membership would want to see happen. And so we've always been a very member driven uh, party in terms of our policies and, and um, uh, platform that we start to try to bring forward. And, and that's going to continue. And, and um, you know, I think it's going to create a lot of uh, hard conversations and a lot of uh, good conversations within our membership as to where we see ourselves moving forward with, with those policies uh, that will relate. What do you think about the fact that Horgan called this election in the first place in the, in the middle of a pandemic? And let me play this for you, Peter. This is Horgan on Saturday night talking about whether the election was even necessary. This has been an extraordinarily difficult election for many, many reasons, but it's one that I believe had to happen. And I think I'm grateful for all British Columbians that we have put the election behind us and we can get back to focusing on the things that matter most to you. Yeah, I, I bet he's happy to put it behind him now. But come on, this election was not necessary. I think everybody knows that. But Peter Millibar, your thoughts. I mean, there, there was some speculation at the start of this thing that this was a risky move by Horgan. This could backlash against him. Calling an election like this during a pandemic didn't happen. How come? Well, it was a risky move, and I, I didn't buy what the Premier was selling uh, when he said that all through the election, and I don't buy it on election night when he said it either. Uh, you know, it was risky, um, but, um, you know, I, I personally feel that, uh, you know, the Premier was looking at the economic headwinds coming at the province and, and realized that uh, they haven't done enough to support businesses. We're going to start seeing them fail through, through the winter, unfortunately, and, and the backlash next spring heading into next fall. Uh, against the government would have been there and and that would have made it a much more difficult route was it a a cold calculated political maneuver absolutely but we are in politics this is bc where uh, everyone's always got to have their elbows up and um you know ultimately the gamble paid off for peter thanks for coming on today great thank you so much 
All right, welcome back to the show. It's our election special on the show today. An historic election on Saturday in British Columbia. John Horgan bet big on that snap election call during the pandemic. He wins big as the NDP cruises to a majority government on Saturday night. Now, this story developing here for you. Andrew Wilkinson, the Liberal leader, has scheduled a 2 o'clock announcement. He will make a statement to the media could he resign as the liberal leader here at two o'clock this afternoon you must keep it locked here all day to cknw as we continue to follow the election fallout for you in this developing story jill bennett on her show she will have that announcement live for you Two o'clock, Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson scheduled to make a statement. Lots of speculation he could step aside after the Liberals lost the election on the weekend. All right, we've got our BC election panel assembled and ready to go for you one more time. Bill Thielman is here, West Star Communications president. Uh, he supports the NDP. Bill, thanks for coming on. Morning, Mike. Okay, he's a happy man. Caroline Elliott on the line as well, former advisor to the BC Liberal Party. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Mike. Hi, thanks for doing this again. And Yonina Campbell from the Green Party. She is the executive director of the BC Greens. They had a pretty good night, too. Hi, Yonina. Hi, good morning, Mike. Thanks a lot for coming on. Caroline, let me go to you first. and Give me your take on this developing story here with Andrew Wilkinson this afternoon. Are you expecting him to step aside? Well, we'll see. I mean, it's you know it was going to be a tough election no matter uh, what leader was in place and no matter what strategy was employed. And uh, you know, in, in, in any case, I think a defeat in an election is going to lead to questions about the leadership. Uh, and, and I'm sure he's facing all kinds of pressure. Uh, but yeah, as you mentioned, he's going to be speaking later today. And I'd, I'd, I think I'd, I'll let him speak for himself. Well, that's probably pretty wise, but let me let me play this for you. Some people are already speaking out. Let me play this for you. This is um, Alexa Liu, and a liberal candidate who was defeated on Saturday in Richmond South Centre, and there was a lot of hopes pinned on Alexa Liu, Richmond City Councillor, former Olympic snowboarder. Man, she could have been a, a, a bright new face for the Liberal Party. She fails to, to win there in Richmond, where she was expected to win. Uh, listen to this. Here's what she says about the uh, party leadership. You go to games, you lose the race, you're getting a new team leader. So now who will the new team leader be? Will it be someone who's new and dynamic and, and can push the team across the finish line all the way and who has a vision for those things and, and the environment and the economy and for raising the playing field for everybody to get across that finish line so that we're all having a better life here in Richmond So and BC. Okay, maybe a time for a new team captain, Caroline. So I've already put you on the spot here with, with Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson. We'll see what he has to say at 2 o'clock. But generally speaking, what went wrong for the Liberals here in this campaign? Well, I mean, it's it was going to be an uphill battle. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, the reason we're having the election or that we had the election, I guess, in the first place was because it was called uh, uh, right when uh, John Horgan was seeing some really stellar numbers in terms of opinion polls. And, and, and so we called that election on a gamble that he, he definitely won. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it's true that the BC Liberals lost around a, a dozen seats, give or take. And we'll see what the mail-in ballots, uh, 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 you know, how they matter. But, I mean, the voters have sent a, a, a strong message, regardless of, of how many seats change hands with those mail-in ballots. I mean, I think the BC Liberals probably didn't get the message they needed to in 2017. And, and I attribute that a little bit to the fact that they didn't technically lose that election. They technically won that election. And, and right. you have far less of an impetus for change in that case. Uh, this time around, uh, there's no sort of, 
you know, um, there's no sort of beating around the bush. I think that they, they have got to make some changes, absolutely. Uh, but they're going to they're, they're gonna face a, a big challenge because they've got two opposing pressures on them, too. I mean, they've got to appeal, as we all know, to these kind of younger urban and suburban voters if they're going right. to regain seats like North Van Seymour and Vancouver Falls Creek and things. But they're also going to need to stop that conservative split from happening. So, so regardless, they're going to have a big challenge on their hands. Okay, 2 o'clock is when Andrew Wilkinson, the Liberal leader, will make his announcement. Let's go to Bill Thielman from the NDP. Bill, big night, historic breakthrough for the NDP or big majority government. Your thoughts on the outcome? Well, it was fantastic, obviously, and John Horgan faced criticism from the get-go for calling an election uh, about a year early, and the results speak for themselves. I think people wanted to see someone have a strong man- a government have a strong mandate to deal with COVID, and as we watch, Mike, what's happening in Europe, uh, lockdowns and all sorts of problems in the second wave, I think people wanted some stability and some confidence they weren't going to be in an election a year from now as well. So it was a good decision, and it paid off. Okay, when you take a look at that electoral map, Bill, and you're a backroom kind of strategy guy, did you ever think the the NDP would break through in places like Langley or in the Valley and Richmond, these liberal strongholds? Or Richmond, yeah, absolutely. I, I've talked with some of the BC Liberals in the Richmond area, and they were quite in shock on, on election night. And subsequently, I think that uh, uh, you may remember that an NDP took a by-election in Chilliwack uh, was a number of years ago. Uh, Gwen O'Mahony uh, won that one, yeah. so it was possible. Um, but then after all that happened, but the Langleys was really probably the most shocking of all because, uh, you know, Rich Coleman country, I mean, that right. just uh, blew me away. Mary Pollock, long time liberal uh, senior member of the, of the caucus, a cabinet minister, etc. And uh, for Andrew Mercier, who came out of the uh, building trades as executive director to beat her there, and, and it doesn't appear to be in doubt, uh, really is realigning. I, I, re- I wrote in the title, this is a transformational election, Mike. I mean, we are seeing the NDP winning in places where they've never won before, never had a hope before. And if they can solidify that, and they have four years to work on that, if they do the right things and solidify that, it really changes the political map. Yeah, or Richmond, especially like we played that clip there from uh, mm-hmm. Alexa Liu. The, there was a lot of hope pinned on her for the Liberals. I mean, that's a that's a seat where the Liberals held forever. I mean, Linda Reed, she was like the Liberal MLA there for twenty five years. Yeah, and yeah. And, and the the NDP end up taking it. Yeah, your thoughts. And, and, and as you, and as you and Keith said earlier too, like Matt Pitcairn, a good candidate for them uh, from the Richard Chamber of Commerce, and and Alexa Liu, Olympian and and uh, city councilor there. Those are the kind of people that they wanted to get into the caucus so that they would right. have less of the Mike DeYoungs and people who've been there forever. And instead, those people lost, and a few of the old timers won. Okay, let's go to Yanina Campbell from the Green Party. Yanina, uh, Green Party had a pretty good night. Your thoughts? Oh yeah, it was a fantastic night overall. I mean, in, I mean, in the sense that I think this election was a lot about getting, uh, seeing if we could, you know, get rid of the Greens, and at least we, you know, we've been removed in terms of the um, confidence and supply agreement, but we still have three seats, um, which is up one since the time of dissolution. So we have uh, strong showings in obviously those three seats. Really great that we have been able to break off the island and take West Van Sea to Sky. Um, hopefully that's something that when those uh, uh, mail-in ballots come in, stays secured, but it's looking really good. And I just think that shows that um, a lot of British Columbians are looking for an alternative, especially on, on things like the low-carbon ec- economy and the climate plan that the Greens were pushing for. Uh, we were second in 14 ridings. Um, so that also is a big indicator of our success 
And, you know, just in terms of Sonia's performance and being able to go from a relatively uh, unknown leader uh, to a well-known leader, um, our fundraising, 49% of our donations were from new donors since Sonia um, became leader. So it just really shows that we are building and growing, and we're really excited about being able to build on that strength over the next four years. Okay, are you worried at all about any of these seats, the three seats that you got flipping uh, or losing losing grasp of them when they count the mail-in ballots? No, I don't think so. I think uh, Sonia and Adam's uh, ridings um, on the island were were pretty uh, good uh, margins, but all but in terms of West Van Sea to Sky, there's I believe there's only about 700 mail-in ballots, so I think we're looking pretty good there. All right, welcome back. As we continue breaking down the B.C. election result, the NDP cruised to that big majority on Saturday night. Bill Thielman for the NDP, Caroline Elliott for the Liberal Party, Yonina Campbell for the Green Party. Caroline, how big of a problem is this for the Liberals right now in terms of the situation in Metro Vancouver? Because, man, the Liberals just got their butts kicked all over the lower mainland here. How do you guys come back from that? Well, I think they, you know, the party is going to have a lot of work to do uh, over the next four years to, to sort that out. But, I mean, there's no question they need to start appealing and, and do something different to appeal to some of these younger, and, and they're not all younger, but some of these more, I guess, progressively minded uh, urban and suburban voters. Yeah. Um, but as I said, it, it does come at a, at a, as a sort of a difficult thing for them because you've also got that conservative side too. I mean, the conservative split in the vote is a factor even in, or in, in 2017 showed this really clearly, and even in more progressive ridings where they lost Courtney Comox due to a split in the conservative vote, for example, and, and Maple Ridge uh, Mission as well, which would have been the difference between, of course, a minority and a majority government for them. So they really, they have to find that balance. And it's not an easy thing, but I, I do think it's possible. I mean, I think part of the answer will be focusing on the values that hold the parties, the party kind of members together and, and the appeal together in that free enterprise mm-hmm. coalition uh, without delving into some of the things that divide it. So it's going to be tricky. But uh, again, they have an advantage in a weird way because you, you have four full years now, we know, to regroup. And, and so right. 2024 is going to see them coming out with you know, uh, 58 fresh faces. You know, they're going to be diverse faces with lots of new perspectives and different backgrounds, and and that's going to look like a whole new party uh, going forward. So things could be very different four years from now. Okay, Bill Thielman for the NDP. Bill, I suggest to you that this snap election call was dirty pool by John Horgan. He did not have to do this, despite everything he said. Uh, he basically stabbed the the Green Party in the back, went against his own scheduled election law he did it anyway it was risky he wins that big bet how did he pull this off like how how critical do you think the election timing was here towards this, with this ndp victory i mean he just he just caught his opponents unawares and flat-footed yeah but i think like we saw there was a lot of uh, drum beating going on about a possible election the premier uh, several times a month two months out said uh, refused to rule it out completely so i think there was some warning there and and obviously uh, you know, he took a chance and the voters decided. I mean, you know, people can criticize him uh, in media and they did, but voters didn't feel the same way about that. So I think that's important. Like, I just going back to the, the, the challenge for the Liberals, though, Caroline mentioned yeah. that. Uh, we've got a major event coming up, and we don't know when it will be, that will split the federal liberals and conservatives who form the B.C. liberals, and that's the election, the federal election. So at some point, we're going to have an Aaron O'Toole versus Justin Trudeau battle where the folks who work on the B.C. liberals' campaigns and B.C. liberals' uh, establishment administration will be fighting each other tooth and nail. 
And uh, that is really always a problem for the federal, uh, for the BC Liberals, because they have that combination of federal and provincial, uh, federal Speaking. and uh, liberals and federal conservatives. Uh, they also have the social conservative, fiscal conservative split to deal with, and that's where the Lori Thronuses and John Martins come in, and others, uh, where the party has has tried to paste it all together, and it fell right. apart in the last week to disastrous results. Speaking of the federal liberals, Bill, do you think a guy like Justin Trudeau is looking at this result, and we've seen incumbent governments? re-elected here in several elections in a row now during the COVID-19 pandemic. Does he take a look at this and say, I can pull the same trick here and somehow try to engineer or trigger a federal election that he thinks he can win? I think it's inevitable, actually, because we're going to see the Saskatchewan party, and all, uh, according to all the polls, will win in Saskatchewan tonight over the NDP. They're way ahead again, just to similar to BC numbers. And I just can't imagine that the Liberal brain trust federally in Ottawa isn't looking at New Brunswick and uh, and uh, BC and then Saskatchewan saying, this works and people don't want to change governments in the COVID-19 pandemic. And look, the federal Liberals have put a lot of money into economic recovery. They've done a lot of things right. Uh, they've got some other problems, like the We Charities scandal. So I think they may well want to run sometime in the next six months. Okay, Yanita Campbell, where do we go? Where does the Green Party go from here? You've still got the three seats in the legislature. Will they be recognized as an official party in the legislature here with three seats? Yeah, the legislation is set up to, to uh, it's for two seats for official party. Okay. House, so we are definitely uh, going to make that. Um, I know there was some questioning about that on election night, but yeah, it's uh, three seats will be fine. Um, where we go? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I guess I would uh, put some context here, which is, you know, 45% of British Columbians voted for the NDP and got them 55 seats, which means that 55% of British Columbians did not vote for the NDP. And I think what we need to do is really tap into our communities, be, be out there and listening and engaging. Um, we came in second in 14 ridings. There's a lot of people that would like to vote green, but don't because of the first-past-the-post system. So I think it's really getting out there and connecting with them and growing in the ridings where we did well, growing those teams and building on that so that we can um, have a, a, a bigger success right. in four years from now. Okay, is there danger, though, for the Green Party becoming irrelevant here because the Greens no longer hold the balance of power? We had that lightning strike in the last election where the, the math just worked out perfectly for the Greens to hold that balance of power. I'm not sure that'll ever happen again. Now the NDP have got the, that majority. Do the Greens now become irrelevant? That's a great question. No, I think it's the actual, the opposite. I mean, if we were going to be irrelevant, we would have, uh, we wouldn't have seen three seats elected this time. I think what we're going to see is the ability to actually be an effective official, well, not the official, but an effective opposition in a way that was not always possible when you were in a minority government, working with government in partnership to bring those things forward. Um, I think you're going to be able to see um, that the three Greens elected will be a much stronger voice on the issues, in particular things like Site C, which is uh, coming um the beat, which is uh, coming forward now, is a huge cost yes. overruns, massive geotechnical yes. issues. So they're going to take a really strong stand on these in a way that they uh, was more, was more challenging when they were in the CAS agreement with the government. Guys, I want to thank all three of you for being a regular panel here with us throughout the entire election. And I thought all three of you were great. So thanks a lot for your all your time. Bill Thielman for the NDP, Caroline Elliott for the Liberal Party, Yonina Campbell for the Green Party. They were our strategist panel here all through the election campaign. My great thanks to them. All right, here they come. Here come those murder hornets. 
Oh, look out. Here they come. I'll tell you what, I'm fascinated by insects. I, even when I was a little kid, I loved insects, loved learning about them, and so I'm fascinated by the murder hornet story. And did you see the discovery of a murder hornet nest just across the border in Blaine, Washington? The photos of officials down there in Washington State taking out this nest of murder hornets are incredible. I en- encourage you, please give me a follow on Twitter, at Mike Smith News on Twitter. Smith spelled with a Y, S M. Y-T-H, Mike Smith News on Twitter. I've just posted some of the photos of these guys going in, taking out that nest of murder hornets down in Blaine, Washington. The hazmat suits these guys are wearing are just incredible. They look like they're going into Chernobyl or Three Mile Island or something. Just amazing. They go in, they vacuumed out uh, a nest of murder hornets out of a tree uh, estimated 100 murder hornets, maybe more in there. Vacuum them up into a special tube. It's amazing the technology they're using to try and control these invasive insects. Okay, let's talk about this now with my guest, Conrad Barube. He is an entomologist here on Vancouver Island. He was involved in taking out a murder hornet nest that was found near Nanaimo earlier. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Conrad, thanks a lot for coming on. Sure. How you doing, Mike? I, I'm doing great. I know you're a scientist, so you don't you don't like calling this murder hornet. What's the official name of these insects? <laughs> well, the the common name that I prefer is the Asian giant hornet, and its its scientific binomial is uh, Vestomandarinia. Right. Okay. These things are what about uh, two inches long? About that. Yes. Wow. Okay. They're incredible. They are really gnarly looking things. They're invasive species, right? They're normally where are they normally found? Um. They, various biotypes of the species can be found um, if you make a triangle from starting in Nepal, going um, uh, eastward across through China and, uh, and Japan down to um, uh, southern Asia, like Vietnam right. area, Korea. Right. That's where we want them to stay. We don't want them over here, but we've uh, discovered a couple of these nests. What did you think, Conrad, what did you think of this nest they found in Blaine, Washington, and the extraordinary uh, effort there to vacuum out that nest and the hazmat suits those guys were wearing? Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was quite the, uh, quite the, quite the find. Um, I, I was down shadowing uh, Chris Looney uh, October 11th to 19th, um, and uh, their, the, the task before them was quite Herculean. Uh, there's a huge amount of area to 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 cover um uh you, despite the fact that they that they had quite a number of hits uh to locate the epicenter uh the area was very large and the and very challenging right is he with the Washington State Department of Agriculture That's right he's the entomologist yeah. in charge yeah Right right okay um I know you were involved in taking out and taking out a a a nest of these things yourself and I want to ask you about that but uh, what did you think of the extraordinary measures they took there wearing those suits? And what, what were those suits that they're wearing? They look like space age. Yeah, um, my understanding is uh, that that they are that they were obtained from from Asia, and that basically they're um, in, inflatable um, and uh, resistant to the uh, prodigious sting. The Asian giant hornet has a sting that's about a quarter of an inch long and can uh, pierce through fairly thick layers of clothing. Right, yeah, just amazing. It looks like a science fiction movie. It's just incredible. And they also, um, I was reading about how they, they took some of these uh, hornets and outfitted them with a tiny radio transmitter and tied tied them to the hornets with dental floss. Is that correct? 
That's right. Yeah, that's that's wow. probably right. Yeah. Okay. What was that for? Uh, they were trying to. Uh, so what they what they had done is they had set out uh, live traps for workers of the of the hornets and uh, were able to uh, catch several of them on the same day and uh, tied the uh, radio tags to them. Uh, and then track them back with kind of a little speed gun type unit. It looks kind of like a mini mini radar gun, uh, and they were able to track uh, track the uh, at least one of the hornets back to the nest uh, area, and wow, uh, were able to find a nest. So that's how they were able to locate this nest using that technology. Yes. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, speaking to Conrad Barube, he is an entomologist here on Vancouver Island about murder hornets discovered in Blaine, Washington. Why are why are the, we so worried about this species of insect? Uh, it's a it's a non-native species that would uh, add to the uh, potential enemies of uh, our honeybees, which are uh, you know also an introduced species. But uh, the honeybees are uh, integral to uh, our agricultural system, and uh, yeah, we don't need we don't need yet another uh, enemy of of our honeybees. Right. So, what can these hornets do to a uh, hive of honeybees? So, uh, the Asian giant hornet nests are, are, are you know are, are generally subterranean and very similar to the bald faced hornet nests that most people are probably familiar with, yellow jacket nests, and uh, the those nests will target. Uh, apiaries and will uh, pick uh, honeybees off the uh, off the entrances of of their hives during their uh, and during the season of their annual nests to feed their uh, to feed to their larvae. Um, and uh, about this time of year, they uh, can switch over to what's called a slaughter phase, where they will uh, uh, pick on a an individual colony or colonies and uh, slaughter the entire adult population wow. uh, of the of the colony in order to gain access to the uh, larvae and honey in those honeybee colonies. Oh, a slaughter is a good way to describe it. I've seen some videos of these Asian hornets just taking out a hive of honeybees and it is it is not a pretty sight. I mean, they just they just take out those honeybees with extreme prejudice. It's really scary. Um, now, they call them murder hornets, but is that kind of a misnomer? Like, are they dangerous to people? They can't kill a human being, can they? Uh, they they can. Uh, the, oh. the, yeah, the the murder the murder generally applies to the uh, to the to their slaughtering of honeybees. Right. Um, but um, you know, um, much in the same way that if someone stumbles across a uh, subterranean nest of our of any of our established yellow jacket colonies here. Uh, if you get stung by a, a number of uh, hornets at the same time, that can that can uh, pose a potential and p- potentially lethal health risk. Wow. Okay. Another reason that we don't want them here. Speaking to Conrad Barube, tell me about the um, the the nest that you helped take out in Nanaimo. When did that happen? Yeah. So that was uh, September eighteenth, twenty nineteen. Uh, the nest right. was discovered by John and Mofita Holubeshin. Uh, after they had kind of triangulated its general location from uh, information provided to them by the provincial apiarist Paul Van Westendorp, uh, they uh, had been uh, contemplating organizing a uh, fairly a, lar- a larger scale uh, search and destroy mission um, for which they were doing kind of a reconnaissance mission um, prior to uh, a planned search, and they were able to find the nest uh, 
uh, on their on their reconnaissance mission. And so they, they wow. called me and the president of the local beekeepers club, and uh, I acted as kind of the trigger man to take the nest out um, and while they acted as a support team to package up specimens for distribution to uh, research and education facilities. Wow. And were you wearing one of those inflatable hornet-proof suits like they no, were wearing we down in Washington? We, we, we didn't have anything as, as fancy as that, but uh, we did have, I, I did have uh, some uh, Kevlar, uh, essentially bulletproof vest and some Kevlar bracers that I wore at uh, ankle and wrist um, uh, that are normally used for when I'm uh, doing uh, chainsawing or uh, fending off uh, zombies during a during an apocalypse, but um, <laughs> uh, on top on top of that, we had I had my uh, uh, regular bee suit uh, and an extra an extra layer of uh, clothing of you know thick sweatpants and uh, sweatshirts uh, uh, and, you know underneath underneath the uh, uh, Kevlar vest and uh, over the bicycle pants that I was wearing. But you still got stung though, right? I did, yeah. When I, I, I squatted down um, in kind of a low-tech um, uh, variant of their vacuuming technique, I had a, uh, a handy vac uh, with me, and uh, the Hornets and I both realized at the, time, at the same time that uh, they were too large to fit into the uh, handy vac. Um, I didn't really know what, what to expect. It was, it, 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 it was a piece of equipment that I'd used previously in other yellow jack to collect other yellow jackets. Um, but, uh, the, how many times did you get stung? I got, uh, ultimately I got stung about seven times. I got stung Ooh. four times, four times while trying to vacuum them up. And then, uh, another couple of times that I didn't even notice until the, uh, uh until the next day. Uh, okay. We just, we just got a battle. We just got a minute left. What does that feel like? You get stung by one of these things. Uh, I describe it as like having red hot thumbtacks driven into the flesh. Uh, it's oh, not oh, for everybody. Man. Oh my goodness! Okay, is there a danger? Where are we at now with this thing? I mean, I, you know, if we found there's we found these nests, does that just pretty much mean there's there's got to be more of them out there? Uh, we don't know. Uh, the Holobeshians uh, were were uh, spearheading uh, the efforts on the island to um, get beekeepers uh, and anybody else interested to to trap um, uh, for the Asian giant hornet, and they, um, I, you know, I had traps as well out at my place and. Uh, none of those traps on the island um, ever pulled in, and he pulled in lots of lots of uh, bald-faced hornets uh, that are already established here, which are a type of yellow jacket. Uh, but uh, no, no Asian giant hornets uh, okay. were, were detected on the island this year. Conrad, thanks for the important work you do. I appreciate you coming on today. No problem. Thanks for your interest. Uh,